Section 15 of Famous Adventures and Prison Escapes of the Civil War by Various. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 15. A Hard Road to Travel Out of Dixie. Part 3. At daylight we were awakened by the voice of Miss Emma at the hole in the door. Who got out last night? Welty? Well, you was fools, you didn't all go. Pap wouldn't a stopped you. If you'll keep the break concealed until tonight, we'll let you all out. The secret of the extreme kindness of our keepers was explained. The jailer, a loyalist, retained his position as a civil detail, thus protecting himself and sons from conscription. Welty had been taken in the night before, his bruises had been anointed, and he had been provisioned for the journey. We spent the day repairing our clothing and preparing for the road. My long-heeled cowhides, wife's shoes, for which I had exchanged a uniform waistcoat with a cotton-wooled old darky on the banks of the Saluda, were about parting soles from uppers, and I kept the twain together by winding my feet with stout cords. At supper an extra ration was given us. As soon as it was dark, the old jailer appeared among us and gave us a minute description of the different roads leading west into the mountains, warning us of certain dangers. At eleven o'clock, Miss Emma came with the great keys, and we followed her in single file down the stairs and out into the backyard of the jail. From the broken gratings in front, the bit of rope and strip of blanket were left dangling in the wind. We made short work of leave-taking, Captain Smith and I separating immediately from the rest and pushing hurriedly out of the sleeping town by back streets into the bitter cold of the country roads. We stopped once to warm at the pits of some negro charcoal burners, and before day dawned had traveled sixteen miles. We found a sheltered nook on the side of the mountain open to the sun, where we made a bed of dry leaves and remained for the day at night we set out again due west by the stars but before we had gone far my companion who claimed to know something of the country insisted upon going to the left and within a mile turned into another left-hand road i protested claiming that this course was leading us back while we were yet contending we came to a bridgeless creek whose dark waters barred our progress, and at the same moment, as if induced by the thought of the fording, the captain was seized with rheumatic pains in his knees, so that he walked with difficulty. We had just passed a house, where lights were still showing, and to this we decided to return, hoping at least to find shelter for Smith. Leaving him at the gate, I went to a side porch and knocked at the door, which was opened by a woman who proved to be friendly to our cause, her husband being in the rebel army much against his will. We were soon seated to the right and left of her fireplace. Blazing pine knots brilliantly lighted the room, and a number of beds lined the walls. A trundle bed before the fire was occupied by a very old woman who was feebly moaning with rheumatism our hostess shouted into the old lady's ear granny dem's yankees be day said she peering at us with her poor old eyes be ye sellin tablecloths when it was explained that we were just from the war she demanded in an absent way to know if we were britishers we slept in one of the comfortable beds and as a measure of prudence passed the day in the woods leaving at nightfall with well-filled haversacks 
Captain Smith was again the victim of his rheumatism, and directing me to his friends at Caesar's Head, where I was to wait for him until Monday, it then being Tuesday, he returned to the house, little thinking that we were separating forever. I traveled very rapidly all night, hoping to make the whole distance, but day was breaking when I reached the headwaters of the Saluda following up the stream i found a dam on which i crossed and although the sun was rising and the voices of children mingled with the lowing of cattle in the frosty air i ran across the fields and gained a secure hiding-place on the side of the mountain it was a long solitary day and glad was i when it grew sufficiently dark to turn the little settlement and get into the main road up the mountain it was six zigzag miles to the top the road turning on log abutments well anchored with stones and not a habitation on the way until i should reach bishop's house on the crest of the divide halfway up i paused before a big summer hotel looming up in the woods like the ghost of a deserted factory its broken windows and rotting gateways redoubling the solitude of the bleak mountainside shortly before reaching bishop's wife's shoes became quite unmanageable one had climbed up my leg halfway to the knee and i knocked at the door with the wreck of the other in my hand my visit had been preceded but a day by a squad of partisan raiders who had carried away the bedding and driven off the cattle of my new friends and for this reason the most generous hospitality could offer no better couch than the hard floor stretched thereon in close proximity to the dying fire the cold air coming up through the wide cracks between the hewn planks seemed to be cutting me in sections as with icy saws so that i was forced to establish myself lengthways on a broad puncheon at the side of the room and under the table in this family the grey mare was the better horse and poor bishop an inoffensive man and a cripple withal was wedded to a regular xantope it was evident that unpleasant thoughts were dominant in the woman's mind as she proceeded sullenly and vigorously with preparations for breakfast the bitter bread of charity was being prepared with a vengeance for the unwelcome guest premonitions of the coming storm flashed now and then in lightning cuffs at the ears of the children or crashed venomously among the pottery in the fireplace at last the repast was spread the table still standing against the wall as is the custom among mountain housewives the good-natured husband now advanced cheerfully to lend a hand in removing it into the middle of the room it was when one of the table legs overturned the swill pail that the long pent-up storm burst in a torrent of invective the prospect of spending several days here was a very gloomy outlook and the relief was great when it was proposed to pay a visit to neighbor case whose house was in the nearest valley and with whose sons captain smith had lain in concealment for some weeks on a former visit to the mountains i was curious to see his sons who were famous outliers from safe cover they delighted to pick off a recruiting officer or a tax-in-kind collector or tumble out of their saddles the last drivers of a wagon train these lively young men had been in unusual demand of late and their hiding-place was not known even to the faithful so i was condemned to the society of an outlier of a less picturesque variety 
pink bishop was a blacksmith and just the man to forge me a set of shoes from the leather neighbor's case had already provided the little still shed concealed from the road only by a low hill was considered an unsafe harbor on account of a fresh fall of snow with its sensibility to tell-tale impressions so we set up our shoe factory in a deserted cabin well back on the mountain and just astride of that imaginary line which divides the carolinas from the fireplace we dug away the corn stalks heaping the displaced bundles against broken windows and windy cracks and otherwise secured our retreat against frost and enemies then ensued three days of primitive shoemaking as may be inferred the shoes made no pretensions to style i sewed the short seams at the sides and split the pegs from a section of seasoned maple rudely constructed as these shoes were they bore their wearer triumphantly into the promised land i restrained my eagerness to be going until monday night the time agreed upon when my disabled companion not putting in an appearance i set out for my old friends in cashers valley i got safely over a long wooden bridge within half a mile of a garrisoned town i left the road and turned as i believed away from the town but i was absolutely lost in the darkness of a snowstorm and forced to seek counsel as well as shelter in this plight i pressed on toward a light glimmering faintly through the blinding snow it led me into the shelter of the porch to a small brown house cut deeply beneath the low eaves and protected at the sides by flanking bedrooms my knock was answered by a girlish voice and from the ensuing parley through the closed door i learned that she was the daughter of a baptist exhorter and that she was alone in the house her brother being away at the village and her father who preached the day before at some distance not being expected home until the next morning reassured by my civil-toned inquiries about the road she unfastened the door and came out to the porch where she proceeded to instruct me how to go on which was just the thing i least desired to do by this time i had discovered the political complexion of the family and making myself known was instantly invited in with the assurance that her father would be gravely displeased if she permitted me to go on before he returned i had interrupted my little benefactress in the act of writing a letter on a sheet of foolscap which lay on an old-fashioned stand in one corner of the room beside the ink-bottle and the candlestick in the diagonal corner stood a tall bookcase the crowded volumes nestling lovingly behind the glass doors the only collection of the sort that i saw at any time in the mountains a feather bed was spread upon the floor the head raised by means of a turned-down chair and here i was reposing comfortably when the brother arrived it was late in the forenoon when the minister reached home his rickety wagon creaking through the snow and drawn at a snail's pace by a long-furred knock-kneed horse the tall but not very clerical figure was wrapped in a shawl and swathed round the throat with many turns of a woolen tippet the daughter ran out with eagerness to greet her father and tell of the wonderful arrival i was received with genuine delight it was the enthusiasm of a patriot eager to find a sympathetic ear for his long-repressed views footnote 
the reverend james h duckworth now postmaster of brevard transylvania county north carolina and in eighteen sixty eight member of the state constitutional convention in his letter of june twenty four eighteen ninety says i have not forgotten those things of which you speak i can almost see you even in imagination standing at the fire when i drove up to the gate and went into the house and asked you have i ever seen you before just then i observed your uniform oh yes said i i know who it is now this daughter of whom you speak married about a year after and is living in morgantown north carolina about one hundred miles from here hattie for that is her name is a pious religious woman End note. when night came and no entreaties could prevail to detain me over another day the minister conducted me some distance in person passing me on with ample directions to another exhorter who was located for that night at the house of a miller who kept a ferocious dog i came first to the pond and then to the mill and got into the house without encountering the dog aware of the necessity of arriving before bedtime i had made such speed as to find the miller's family still lingering about the fireplace with preacher number two seated in the lay circle that night i slept with the parson who sat up in bed in the morning and after disencumbering himself of a striped extinguisher nightcap electrified the other sleepers by announcing that this was the first time he had ever slept with a yankee after breakfast the parson armed with staff and scrip signified his purpose to walk with me during the day as it was no longer dangerous to move by daylight we must have been travelling the regular baptist road for we lodged that night at the house of another lay brother the minister continued with me a few miles in the morning intending to put me in the company of a man who was going toward cashers valley in a hunting expedition when we reached his house however the hunter had gone so after parting with my guide i set forward through the woods following the tracks of the hunter's horse the shoe prints were sometimes plainly impressed in the snow and again for long distances over dry leaves and bare ground but an occasional trace could be found it was past noon when i arrived at the house where the hunters were assembled quite a number of men were gathered in and about the porch just returned from the chase blinded by the snow over which i had been walking in the glare of the sun i blundered up the steps inquiring without much tact for the rider who had preceded me and was no little alarmed at receiving a rude and gruff reception i continued in suspense for some time until my man found an opportunity to inform me that there were suspicious persons present thus accounting for his unexpected manner the explanation was made at a combination meal serving for both dinner and supper and consisting exclusively of beans i set out at twilight to make a walk of thirteen miles to the house of our old friend esquire hooper eager for the cordial welcome which i knew awaited me and nerved by the frosty air i sped over the level wood road much of the way running instead of walking three times i came upon bends of the same broad rivulet taking off my shoes and stockings and rolling up my trousers above my knees i tried the first passage 
flakes of broken ice were eddying against the banks and before gaining the middle of the stream my feet and ankles ached with the cold the sharp pain increasing at every step until i threw my blanket on the opposite bank and springing upon it wrapped my feet in its dry folds rising a little knoll soon after making the third ford i came suddenly upon the familiar stopping-place of my former journey it was scarcely more than nine o'clock and the little hardships of the journey from caesar's head seemed but a cheap outlay for the joy of the meeting with friends so interested in the varied fortunes of myself and my late companions together we rejoiced at the escape of sill and lamson and made merry over the vicissitudes of my checkered career here i first learned of the safe arrival in tennessee of knapp man hetty and old tom hancock after a day's rest i climbed the mountains to the hayden cabin now presided over by the heroine of the heiferbell in the absence of her fugitive husband saddling her horse she took me the next evening to join a lad who was about starting for shooting creek young green was awaiting my arrival and after a brief delay we were off on a journey of something like sixty miles the journey however was pushed to a successful termination by the help of information gleaned by the way it was at the close of the last night's march which had been long and uneventful except that we had surmounted no fewer than three snow-capped ridges that my blacksmith's shoes soaked to a pulp by the wet snow gave out altogether on the top of the last ridge i found myself panting in the yellow light of the rising sun the sad wrecks of my two shoes dangling from my hands a wilderness of beauty spread out before me and a sparkling field of frosty forms beneath my tingling feet stretching far into the west toward the open country of east tennessee was the limitless wilderness of mountains drawn like mighty furrows across the toilsome way the pale blue of the uttermost ridges fading into an imperceptible union with the sky a log-house was in sight down in the valley a perpendicular column of smoke rising from its single chimney toward this we picked our way i in my stocking feet and my boy guide confidently predicting that we should find the required cobbler of course we found him in a country where every family makes its own shoes as much as its own bread and he was ready to serve the traveller without pay notwithstanding our night's work we tarried only for the necessary repairs and just before sunset we looked down upon the scattering settlement of shooting creek standing on the bleak brow of chunky gall mountain my guide recognized the first familiar object on the trip which was the roof of his uncle's house at shooting creek i was the guest of the widow kitchen whose house was the chief one in the settlement and whose estate boasted two slaves the husband had fallen by an anonymous bullet while salting his cattle on the mountain in an early year of the war on the day following my arrival i was conducted over a ridge to another creek where i met two professional guides quince edmonston and mac hooper as i came upon the pair parting a thicket of laurel with their long rifles at a shoulder i instantly recognized the coat of the latter as the snuff-coloured sack in which i had last seen lieutenant lamson it had been given to the man at chattanooga where these same guides had conducted my former companions in safety a month before 
Quince Edmonston, the elder, had led numerous parties of Yankee officers over the Wachisi Trail for a consideration of a hundred dollars pledged to be paid by each officer at Chattanooga or Nashville. Two other officers were concealed nearby, and a number of refugees awaiting a convoy, and an arrangement was rapidly made with the guides. The swollen condition of the Valley River made it necessary to remain for several days at Shooting Creek before setting out. Mac and I were staying at the house of Mrs. Kitchen. It was on the afternoon of a memorable Friday, the rain still falling in torrents without, that I sat before the fire, poring over a small Sunday school book, the only printed book in the house, if not in the settlement. Mac Hooper was sitting by the door. Attracted by a rustling sound in his direction, I looked up just in time to see his heels disappearing under the nearest bed. Leaping to my feet with an instinctive impulse to do likewise, I was confronted in the doorway by a stalwart Confederate officer, fully uniformed and armed. Behind him was his quartermaster sergeant. This was a government party collecting the tax in kind, which at that time throughout the Confederacy was the tenth part of all crops and other farm productions. It was an ugly surprise. Seeing no escape, I ventured a remark on the weather only a stare in reply a plan of escape flashed through my mind like an inspiration i seated myself quietly and for an instant bent my eyes upon the printed pages the two soldiers had advanced to the corner of the chimney nearest the door inquiring for the head of the family and keeping their eyes riveted on my hostile uniform at this juncture i was seized with a severe fit of coughing with one hand upon my chest i walked slowly past the men and laid my carefully opened book face down upon a chest with another step or two i was in the porch and bounding into the kitchen i sprang out through a window already opened by the woman for my exit away i sped bareheaded through the pelting rain now crashing through thick underbrush now up to my waist in swollen streams plunging on and on only mindful to select a course that would baffle horsemen in pursuit after some miles of running i took cover behind a stack within view of the road which mac must take in retreating to the other settlement and sure enough here he was coming down the road with my cap and haversack which was already loaded for the western journey mac had remained undiscovered under the bed an interested listener to the conversation that ensued the officer had been assured that i was a friendly scout but convinced of the contrary by my flight he had departed swearing he would capture that yankee before morning if he had to search the whole settlement so alarmed were we for our safety that we crossed that night into a third valley and slept in the loft of a horse barn on sunday our expedition assembled on a hillside overlooking shooting creek where our friends in the secret of the movement came up to bid us adieu with guides we were a party of thirteen or fourteen but only three of us officers who were to pay for our safe conduct each man carried his supply of bread and meat and bedding some were wrapped in faded bed quilts and some in tattered army blankets nearly all wore ragged clothes broken shoes and had unkempt beards 
we arrived upon a mountainside overlooking the settlement of peachtree and were awaiting the friendly shades of night under which to descend to the house of the man who was to put us across valley river premature darkness was accompanied with torrents of rain through which we followed our new uncertain guides at last the light of the cabin we were seeking gleamed humidly through the trees most of the family fled into the outhouses at our approach some of them not reappearing until we were disposed for sleep in a half circle before the fire the last arrivals were two tall women in homespun dresses and calico sunbonnets they slid timidly in at the door with averted faces and then with a rush and a bounce covered themselves out of sight in a bed where they had probably been sleeping in the same clothing when we approached the house here we learned that a cavalcade of four hundred texan rangers had advanced into tennessee by the roads on the day before our guides familiar with the movements of these dreaded troopers calculated that with the day's delay enforced by the state of the river a blow would have been struck and the marauders would be in full retreat before we should arrive on the ground we passed that day concealed in a stable and as soon as it was sufficiently dark we proceeded in a body to the bank of the river attended by a man and a horse the stream was narrow but the current was full and swift the horse breasted the flood with difficulty but he bore us all across one at a time seated behind the farmer we had now left behind us the last settlement and before us lay only wild and uninhabited mountains the trail we travelled was an indian path extending for nearly seventy miles through an uninhabited wilderness instead of crossing the ridges it follows the trend of the range winding for the most part along the crests of the divides the occasional traveller having once mounted to its level pursues his solitary way with little climbing early in the morning of the fourth day our little party was assembled upon the last mountain overlooking the open country of east tennessee some of us had been wandering in the mountains for the whole winter we were returning to a half-forgotten world of farms and fences roads and railways below us stretched the Teleco river away toward the line of towns marking the course of the nashville and chattanooga railroad one of the guides who had ventured down to the nearest house returned with information that the four hundred texan rangers had burned the depot at philadelphia station the day before but were now thought to be out of the country we could see the distant smoke arising from the ruins where the river flowed out of the mountains were extensive ironworks the property of a loyal citizen and in front of his house we halted for consultation he regretted that we had shown ourselves so soon as the rear-guard of the marauders had passed the night within sight of where we now stood our nearest pickets were at loudon thirty miles distant on the railway and for this station we were advised to make all speed for half a mile the road ran along the bank of the river and then turned around a wooded bluff to the right opposite this bluff and accessible by a shallow ford was another hill where it was feared that some of the rangers were still lingering about their camp as we came to the turn in the road our company was walking rapidly in indian file guide edmonston and i at the front coming around the bluff from the opposite direction was a countryman mounted on a powerful gray mare his overcoat was army blue but he wore a bristling fur cap and his rifle was slung on his back 
at sight of us he turned in his saddle to shout to someone behind and bringing his gun to bear came tearing and swearing down the road spattering the gravel under the big hoofs of the gray close at his heels rode two officers in confederate gray uniforms and a motley crowd of riders closed up the road behind in an instant the guide and i were surrounded the whole cavalcade leveling their guns at the thicket and calling on our companions who could be plainly heard crashing through the bushes to halt the dress of but few of our captors could be seen nearly all being covered with rubber talmas but their mounts including mules as well as horses were equipped with every variety of bridle and saddle to be imagined i knew at a glance that this was no body of our cavalry if we were in the hands of the rangers the fate of the guides and refugees would be the hardest i thought they might spare the lives of the officers who are you what are you doing here demanded the commander riding up to us and scrutinizing our rags i hesitated a moment and then throwing off the blanket i wore over my shoulders simply said you can see what i am my rags were the rags of a uniform and spoke for themselves our captors proved to be a company of the second ohio heavy artillery in pursuit of the marauders into whose clutches we thought we had fallen the farmer on the gray mare was the guide of the expedition and the two men uniformed as rebel officers were union scouts the irregular equipment of the animals which had excited my suspicion most as well as the animals themselves had been hastily impressed from the country about the village of loudon where the second ohio was stationed on the following evening which was the fourth of march the day of the second inauguration of president lincoln we walked into loudon and gladly surrendered ourselves to the outposts of the ohio heavy artillery End of section 15